0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements. I'm your host, Alistair Davis. And today we have a very special guest all the way from Liverpool in the UK, Alan McCarthy. Alan McCarthy is the managing director of the Resource Development Center. A little bit about Alan. He left school in 1972, I believe, uh, with poor school leaving results, went to the army, Then he was involved in Xerox sales to mainframe computers. He's been an independent sales consultant since 1987. He's worked in 55 countries, 25 of the 50 US states. He's a director of five businesses, and one is a tattoo studio run by his youngest daughter and husband. He's also the author of five books. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, Alistair. Nice to be here. Yes. Nice to be here, I like your your Liverpudlian accent, uh, I, uh, I've i tried to do a Liverpudlian accent over the years, uh, and I, I think I can do a little bit of it, but I'm not really there.
1: Yeah, I've tried to do certificate as well and and again, <laughs> yeah. but I don't okay. there either.
0: Yeah, you sound like Michael Caine on, uh, <laughs> when Michael Caine does, have you ever watched Michael Caine do those funny accents?
1: have you don't throw them <laughs> bloody spears at me yeah exactly he only has one level Michael Caine that's it it's like Clint Eastwood and John Wayne they're just known for being themselves Yeah, exactly exactly
0: and being you know that's that's the that's an important point like I am busy writing a a course on how to perform in front of the camera because I'm also a part-time actor and being yourself is is one of the key things and I suppose, because you're so experienced, I mean, you've got a a lot more miles on the clock. What do you think about being yourself in terms of in a business context and negotiation or conflict resolution? How how important is that?
1: I think authenticity is the key to any interpersonal relationship, really, Alistair. If you're trying to pretend to be someone else, the other person will recognize the fakeness of it and they will immediately uh, distrust you. And I think when you're in a negotiation situation or at any conflict resolution, the key is to work towards trust between the two parties. You might not like each other. You may not agree mm. with each other at first, but if you trust each other as people, then there's a common ground you can work towards. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I think it's which to people's integrity as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are, in your experience, what are the, the, the ninja trust things that you can that you've used over the years what is your in your opinion what are the best ways to develop that trust and that rapport
1: well I work with hostage negotiators uh, around the world and they have what they call a four steps to trust and the first one is always can the other party like you do they li- make yourself likable that's the first step on the staircase to trust now, of course, not everyone likes everyone else, and quite often you'll meet someone straight up and you'll take an immediate dislike to them for some reason. And it might be just uh, their accent, it might be the way they dress, or it might be just the way they come across. So, the first step is to be likable, and if you can't be likable naturally in an authentic way, don't be disliked. So, mm. to, you know, don't try and be contentious at the beginning of a conversation. A lot of people they create uh, barriers at the beginning with a view to negotiating them away afterwards. So they, mm. they create, this, create this environment that uh, you're gonna have to come to me. Uh, the, I'm gonna have to show you me later on. You're gonna have to work hard to get me to come out of my shell. Now that's, that, that's mm. not a good likable level. And once, you, once you're liked, the next step is to be respected. Yep. Now again, you can be respected without being liked. We would see this in a lot of politicians, particularly today, Jordan. uh, The the circumstances within you may not have originally liked your politicians or your president or prime minister, but the way they act now can actually create some respect for you for them. Now that might mean that you drop down a step in six months or so and say, "Well, I didn't like them originally, but I've got due respect for them, and Mm. I can see what they're aiming for, so I like them a bit more now." Mm -hmm, And once you've mm -hmm. got, and once you've got someone's respect. The next place is make sure that they listen to you. Now, people will only listen to you if they like and respect you. Now, the best way to get someone to listen to you is listen to them. Yeah. And then once someone listens to you, then you might be able to get them to trust you. Okay. And then at that point, you can get them to change, which is what we're all looking for in a conflict situation. We want them to change the recalcitrant position we want them to change to closer towards ourselves or we just want them to stop being uh, obst- obstructive in some way
0: yeah yeah but i mean how do you so it's it's you got to get somebody to like you then you get them to respect you which the two are not mutually inclusive uh right. then there's trust and then there's change but how do you get somebody to like and res- like you over a, a Zoom call or a, whatever in a, in, a, in a virtual context, what?
1: What? How do you do that? I think. I think it starts with respect. Uh, on a on a Zoom call or on a, any sort of online meeting, I think the first thing is that you have to treat the environment with respect. So you have to be prepared correctly. The other party will smell it. If you've, just, if you've just just wandered up out of bed and your hair's tousled, and let's put it in the worst case, you're still wearing your pyjama jacket or a T-shirt that you just got out of bed from, and you're scruffling around for notes in front of you, and then the background has got the kids running around, or it's got the dog pitched on, on the back behind you, and the other party's going to look at it and say, well, that's not very respectful, therefore these people are not respecting me. So I don't like this. And then it will come. I don't like that person because they're not giving me due respect. You don't have to turn up with your Armani suit on and your tie perfectly knotted. What you just have to do is give the environment some thought so that the other party can't immediately dislike you. That Mm. would be the worst thing.
0: And um, what about eye contact? If you're using a webcam I guess eye contact would be would be key. Uh, smiling, you know, the, those types of things to show that you are
1: you want to be there. I I think so. I think being friendly is one of the ways you would be liked. Uh, most people like people who are like them. Now we don't have that luxury when we're um, cross nationalities and we're uh, crossing different uh, conversation zones. What we're looking for is we're looking to pay the other party due respect and be attentive in the moment, rather than just trying to treat this as an easy way of having a conversation. We treat Mm. it as if we were in front of the person, really. And how would you act uh, with the person in front of you? I mean, you're pleasant, you're polite, you're courteous. And all of these things uh, show in your preparation, really. Mm, 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 Just the same mm. as a face-to-face call
0: so so how, you say you train hostage negotiators? How would they prepare for you know they I guess for a hostage negotiator, they might have to phone somebody uh, they won 't do a zoom call. I would presume they'd have to phone somebody how How do they prepare for you know these complex high stake negotiations?
1: Well, I think what they do is they, they prepare first, they prepare in a team. Uh, hostage negotiators would never go out on their own and just do a Zoom call, they will, uh, whether or not it's over the telephone or whether or not it's over online, because these people have been used to dealing with uh, phone conversations. And it's all about the tone of your voice. It's all mm. about the um, the words that you use. Good negotiators are very specific in the way they use their words. Say, as salespeople, we can be quite sloppy, you know, we can be emotional, We can, uh, and we can be a little bit out of context at times. But Mm. if you're going to be a negotiator, you have to be precise in your language. And you have to be precise in the way you listen to the other party's language. And what we're looking for in many ways is you have to mirror the other party. And you mirror them by tone and by decibels and perhaps by speed of conversation. Yeah. So, And that goes the same for any online conversation. You have to be sensitive to the way the other party wants to hear what you've got to say not just, I'm going to make them listen to what I want to say.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because we, uh, ex- we, we don't have the interpersonal cues of people shuffling in a seat or just the, uh, we don't, when the screen freezes on us for a second, we don't actually know that they've broken eye contact and they're, they're looking away in exasperation.
0: So what you're saying, in effect, is you actually – If you're going to do something over Zoom or a virtual meeting or a a telephonic negotiation or closeout, you actually have to be more attuned to the tone of the speaker and what they are not saying. So you actually have to pay closer attention because in a face-to-face, I would think in a face-to-face conversation, you would kind of rely a lot more on body language and, and reading that those kind of signals, but in a sort of a non-visual negotiation where you can't really see the other person, you have to have like heightened sense of, of hearing, of tone, all of those things.
1: Absolutely. And the decibel level and the pace that you talk at, all of these things are to reflect to the other party that you are probably more like them than they originally thought. And therefore, If you are like them, they're probably going to start liking you as a person. What people don't like is they don't like to have conflict in the relationship within the conflict of the circumstance. So if we just take something very simple in a sales conversation, where the customer says, you know, you're too expensive. Okay, now we've got the conflict. Now what we've got is we've got two people who are trying to resolve the conflict, both of whom have a different set of values and principles, perhaps. Now, maybe we've come from very different cultures or just just different backgrounds, and what we have is we have a different view of what is the right way to resolve the price conflict. Yeah. So we have have to be attuned, as you said, to the other party's words that they're using. So when he says, you're too expensive, does he actually mean I can't afford it? Or does he actually mean that you're more expensive than my competition? Hmm. Yeah. So we have, to, so what we've got to look for is we've got to look for the values and principles that say, this is what makes me believe that you're too expensive. And mm-hmm. now, as a, as a salesperson, just over the phone, I mean, slightly different when you've got um, a visual prompting yep. to be, even if it's a screen, just over the phone, you have to be ready with your questions. So when we talk about, when we talk about, proper conflict resolution over the phone the first point of planning is do you know what you want to achieve you'd be surprised because in the in the negotiation commercial negotiation primarily that i do with my clients to sit down and say what is your ideal world you would think most people would be able to trot it out straight away but in Mm. many cases in many cases it can take me hours to get people to identify exactly what is the perfect world
0: you mean for the seller
1: yeah, yeah, for the seller. So so when we have, when we have the, the seller and mm. they, they, we say, so what, what is it you want to achieve? It should be very easy, but it, take, it can take sometimes an hour, particularly if you've got a team of people, because all of these people are sitting around and they may have their own slightly nuanced view of what they want to achieve. But they've mm. never sat down in a, in a group and talked about it before. So if you were to sit down in front of the customer yeah and not and not have this plan at that point, you may even be creating more conflict than you 're going to resolve
0: right 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 so in terms of the plan what what, what elements would be in a negotiation plan, whether you 're doing it face to face or over the phone or
1: over a zoom call what what elements would be in uh, the, i think the, the, the plan the, the problem i 'd say there were four key elements that people don 't do properly. the first one is. They don't look at the full breadth of the deal. So every deal is going to have more than one element. Every, As a salesperson or as a buyer, every deal is not just going to be focused on the price. You know, for example, we're going to have... Uh, uh, the price will be important because it's a commercial transaction, but the start date will be equally yep. as important to one party or the other. The completion mm-hmm. date might be really important. The credit terms of this, the contractual length... How long? Uh, how long does the contract live for? And then we may even have other things like education and installation and delivery. It doesn't matter what you're selling; there are going to be more than one element. However, what I find is most people they obsess about the price, and then what it comes to be, it, it comes to be not a negotiation anymore. It becomes controlling the discount because what they what they have is everyone will have in mind if. if If I've given you an original price of 100 and you've said, Alan, that's too expensive. The first thing that most people do is they run away and say, okay, so how low can I drop? Now, I'm not going to tell you this yet, but the first thing they plan is go to their boss or they look at their own personal mandate and say, I can take 30% off the top, but I don't want to give it to them at 70. Yeah. So now they become obsessing on controlling the discount so that we don't go as low as 70. And quite often, if that's in the forefront of your mind, the other party will smell it on there. They will see that you have some room for maneuver and quite often mm. we signal it too soon. Yeah. What signals, are, what
0: signals should we be aware of as sellers or as professionals? Okay.
1: Well, the first thing, first thing I'd be aware of is if you're going to send someone a proposal, don't call it a draft or don't say, Here's my first proposal. Because the minute you say, Here's my draft, here's my draft proposal for $100, the first thing the customer's thinking, he can move. That draft is a signal. Yeah. If you were to say, Here's my opening view on this, they'll say, Okay, here's his opening view. I want to see a second view. Yeah. And you, never, and you never say things like, What I'm looking for or the prices are in the region of. Yeah. What you do always is you say, Here's the price. Here's what you get for it. So we will be delivering 100 of the items or licenses. And we're looking, uh, we're looking at a three-year contract, not looking for a three-year contract. We're looking at a three-year contract. Delivery date, ideally for me, and we can throw that out, if you like, as a signal. Ideally for me, delivery date will be the 1st of August with a completion at the end of two months. Yeah. Our credit terms, not our standard credit terms, our credit terms are 30 days net. Now, at okay. that point, you say, you say, how do you feel about that? One of the things I never do is I never ask anyone, how, what do they think about that? You say, how do you feel? Yeah. If you ask okay. someone to think, they'll say, well, I think it's too expensive, or I think you're not going too far. If you say, how do you feel about that? You say, well, I feel as though you're not moving towards us in the right way. Or I feel a bit uncomfortable about the three year contract.
0: Yeah. 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 That's uh, so very, your language is very specific. You're economic with the words. You don't have ambiguous terms in there. You're very, you're unequivocal in what you're saying. There's no, there's no
1: gray areas. Yeah, because we do know that. I mean, there are 10 rules for a negotiation. And, this this occurs vaguely in my face-to-face workshops and my virtual workshops and in the books. The 10 rules of negotiation. And rule number three always is never, ever, 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 ever accept the first offer. Now, that stands for being a buyer or a seller. We all know this instinctively. We know it yeah. culturally. And as I said, I've worked in 55 countries. Some people they saying it slightly differently, but I've never seen that rule be broken anywhere. Everyone knows, from Helsinki to Johannesburg, from Shanghai to San Francisco, you never accept the first offer if you, if you, if you know what you're about. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we, if we know the customer knows rule number three, if we know they're not going to accept the first offer, we can be exactly what you said. We can be unequivocal. We say, here's the deal. What do you think? Because we know what they're going to say. They're going to say, I'm not breaking rule number three. I'm not accepting <laughs> your offer, <paper. laughs> I don't like your price. I don't like your terms. I think your contract's too long. Your start date's too late. And your completion date is too soon. Yeah, so They're going to break every part, every element of that deal, which is the first thing that we then have to trace back. And we have to say, have we planned for room for maneuver on each element of this deal? So I'll go back to the conversation a couple of minutes ago. People don't plan what they want ideally. And as you've said, they are not strident enough in their terminology uh, when they introduce their ideal. And what they don't have in the back of their mind is what room for maneuver they have on each one of these elements of the deal.
0: Right, right, right. So you're saying the deal X has multiple variables or different variables it's the price it's the delivery date it's the education it's this or that and as a seller you need to understand what the variables are for each one of those points you need to have a plan saying if the customer says i want 60 days you say well i can give you 45 that's the best i can do
1: absolutely with one with one minor variation on that you've hit the nail on the head alistair and it's it's a common um it's a common response is particularly when it comes to things like discounts or timescales or credit terms, people tend to move them in very specific chunks. So if you think about credit terms, so I've offered you 30 days, you want 60, so you've said 45. If I was to then come back and say, I can't do 45, but I can do 37. yeah, That makes people think a little bit more. It actually, it actually makes them think differently than if I was to go back and say, I can go to 40 or I can, do, I, I can do 45 the way you're asking. Yeah, yeah, so you, people, you, yeah. I, I, tend to, I tend to move in variable figures, particularly when it comes to discounts as well. So when the customer says, you put 100 on the table, now you and I know in our planning that I can go down to 70. When the customer yeah. says, well, I'm lucky, lo- what I'm looking for, you know, your competition have offered me a sixty, uh, a, a sixty dollar uh, deal rather than a hundred dollar. So, can you go down and match the sixty dollars? The first question you ask is not just why are they offering you forty percent discount. Is that well, why are you still talking to me? Yeah. If you yeah. can get it at sixty, I know I would. If I could get exactly the same product at sixty, I would go somewhere else.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And what about, so, so the language needs to be specific. The both written and verbal needs to be very specific. What about the nonverbal cues? What are the, some of the towels or the signals that you should avoid giving or showing to your, to your buyers?
1: Well, I think the nonverbal cues follow the, the verbal cues to be quite honest, is that there are lots of things you, you can, can't, you can't do uh, when, you, when you're negotiating uh, over the phone. And one of the things is the, the nonverbal cues are limited over the phone. And I think even now over uh, Zoom and over uh, Teams and Skype, th- we don't have that good connections yet that we can pick up the, the, the micro expressions from people. What yeah. we are looking at in many cases is we're looking at keeping the language straight. And if you can keep the language straight, and if you can mm. be specific in your requests, and if you can listen very carefully to what the other party is saying, so are they saying, I can't buy a three year deal? Or are they saying, well, we, we're uncomfortable with three years? Mm. So are we, listen, mm. are we listening well enough to the other party to understand what their intent is? Now, you don't have to jump on every one of their variables. You don't say, oh, you're uncomfortable with this. So uh, what would you say to a two year deal? Mm. You don't mm. have to jump on it. You just stored mm. it all away the discomfort they'll say things like so what I would prefer what I'm looking for or ideally or what I'm being told to uh, research all of mm. these things, store them away, and then when you come back to make your counter proposal because we put a price on the table of 100 we said we, we are uh, uh, we're looking at a three year deal our, our, our credit terms of thirty days yeah and we want to start on the first of August and finish in a month. So we're, we're we're quite straightforward on this. We're going to charge them for the training. So the five training days that you that you need for this, we're going to charge you thousand dollars a day. So that's, yeah. and that, that's the price. And he said, "Oh, we usually get our training free from your competition." Yeah. Ninety day, 30 days credit isn't good enough for us because we're paying this out of uh, OPEX. So we were looking for 60 days as a minimum. Yeah. The price doesn't match your competition. And I'm not comfortable with a three-year contract. You know, okay. See, that sounds like he doesn't want it or he can't pay for it or we're not going to go ahead. But every one of those steps has a room for maneuver if you're listening yeah. properly.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah what are your thoughts on let's say you've got a you're you're pitching you're doing a proposal and you're discussing a proposal to a multinational team and everybody's joined in via skype call or a zoom call or whatever and you did a poll to say the buying the decision making team you know anonymous poll where they could give you one out of ten or out of 10, say, what are your thoughts on the price out of 10? What are your thoughts on the delivery or or your feelings? What are your feelings on the price out of 10? What are your feelings on the delivery? What are your feelings on this? And you broke it down and you got an anonymous feedback. Do you think that would be valuable?
1: I've never done it, Alistair. Uh, It sounds like an interesting idea. I'm not totally sure how how honest people will be, even on an, an anonymous poll. Yeah, particularly if they've done their planning properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And how interested
1: to see an action?
0: And in in your experience, how well prepared are buyers? How how well prepared Uh, are they?
1: Well, the same as us, really. Um, The none of us are perfect at this. Buyers tend to focus, depending on who they are. If they're purely financial buyers, say, for example, in procurement, they will be focusing purely on how they can bully you into moving from your 100 to your base level of 70. That's what they'll be focusing on. And they will be doing an inverse sell. You see, most people think that buyers are good negotiators, but they're not. They they are sometimes better salespeople than the salespeople they're dealing with. And the buyer will be trying to sell you on. On why you should drop your price, whereas we're trying to sell them on why you should pay 100, it'll be trying to sell us on why we should do 70. So it'll be offering us jam tomorrow, it'll be offering us contacts in the organization, um, better uh, engagement, oh, and how happy we will be with you as a supplier. So they will be using all of their persuasion techniques. So they're not negotiating mm-hmm. the same way as we shouldn't be. I mean, rule number one out of the 10 rules I talked about, rule number one is don't negotiate. I haven't I mean I've met thousands tens of tens of thousands of salespeople in my career and I'll bet there's only been four or five that have negotiated on their business card all of them have some sort of euphemism of selling and that's what they're paid for we're paid to identify customers problems help them to solve the problems with our solution which solution has a price now if a customer has got if the customer has got a problem and that problem costs him a thousand dollars and that happens every day of the year and he's open 300 days a year, that guy has a $300,000 problem. Mm. Our task now is to help him solve that problem with our solution. Now, if we find our solution costs him $50,000, what we've actually got is we've got a return on investment formula for him. So to solve your $300,000 problem on the left hand, I have the solution that I can help you with here, which is gonna cost you $50,000. Now, yeah. of course, that customer is not gonna break rule number three and accept your first price of $50,000. Yeah. What he's gonna say is, that seems a bit expensive. Now your yeah. task now is to continue selling the $50,000 solution that will then give him a $250,000 saving at some point. Now, that yeah. might not happen this year, but it'll happen next year. So, our task is to sell them on that value proposition. Yeah. That's yeah. rule number one. Don't negotiate unless you need to.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: In your, um, that's, that's a good point.
1: So, that... so when the buyer. Sorry, I'm, I've talked over your beg your pardon. Please. Yeah, no, no, no. Carry on, carry on. So, when the buyer. So, when the buyer prepares predominantly they use an old model of volume. They will use the model that says, I know every salesperson comes in, whether that's right or not. I know every salesperson who comes in has some mandate for movement on the price. So if I'm in procurement, all I'm interested in is is the price. If, okay. however, I'm an operational purchaser, so I'm the business person who's gonna benefit from the $250,000 saving after they've spent the $300,000, I'm probably going to be more interested in the start date, the training, the finish date, and then the start of the return on investment. Yeah. 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 And that's what they will have planned.
0: Yeah. 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 And I guess um, when I, in my pre questionnaire form that I sent you, I asked you what is the one ninja tip that you can think of that can make a person a better communicator? And you said, listen to hear,
1: not to respond. That, that's the one thing that gets me all the time. Quite often you get, and I don't mean just junior salespeople, any salesperson I've seen, what they're trying to do is they're trying to almost paint the other party into the corner that they think they want to be in. So they will be listening for the cues that enable them to say what they wanted to say. Instead, yeah. the best flexibility will come about if you're listening to someone and you hear something you didn't think you were going to hear, but now we can use it and that Mm -hmm. comes back to the planning. If you've got that planning you mentioned, where you have all the variables, so we know all the elements of the deal. So let's say the elements of this deal are, we're gonna sell it, we have the price for whatever it is, a product, a tin of beans, or a license software license. So we have a 100 for the price, which is made up of a product delivery. Then we have a length of a contract, then we have training, then we have a start date, we have a completion date, and we have some credit terms. So we have a six element deal in our head. Yeah. We know exactly what our perfect world is, and we have a view on each one of those as to how far we will get pushed before it breaks me, before, that, before that I can't do it. So I know how low I can go on the price, I know what the variability on the credit terms are, I can actually go to, let's say I can go to 60 days. Yeah. Then on the training, I know I can give the training away because this is, this is quite a normal thing in our industry, but I don't want to. I still want $5,000 for it. I also mm. know I also know that I don't need a three-year contract, but I would like one. Yeah. The minimum mandate in our organization is one year. And then yeah. we come to the start date. I could start earlier if, I, if, if he was paying more, if he was paying closer to the 100,000, I could start earlier. If mm. he was actually paying for the training, we could probably finish earlier. So now yeah. I know what my outside, uh, outside bottom line is on each one of these. Then I'm listening for what the customer says. So if one part, if one member of the decision-making unit, let's say the operational guy, they said, "So what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the quicker resolution on this." You know, okay, um, that's yeah. what he's looking for, didn't? So that that might be his ideal position. Yeah. They so say, "So how quickly?" You don't even have to commit to this. You just say, how quickly would you like to resolve this? You say, well, as soon as possible. So yeah. The sooner we can fix this, the sooner I can start making my return on investment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we don't have a figure. And this person we're talking to may not even have a, an idea about our credit terms. Yeah. They may be very comfortable paying what we want, and so, but we don't have to bring that up. Yeah. yeah. He may be on the budgetary restrictions and then he may be on the time restrictions. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. What are we yeah. listening for? Yeah. Yeah. So, on that hearing and listening, I mean, we've all, as salespeople, we've all heard about the concept of active listening. We've always, you know, when I worked for Oracle, I think the, there was lip service paid to the fact about making it about the customer listen to your customer understand your customer ask the customer questions according to the spin methodology and this that methodology and this but as a salesperson or a negotiator how can you develop that hearing muscle what can you do to become a better listener because i think that Nowadays, we're so distracted. We have so many things that are interrupting our concentration and our flow that we're, we're, we're losing that art of focus, of sitting down and listening and properly listening because we can only listen for 30 seconds and then we're, we're thinking of the next thing. How can, we, how can we exercise that hearing muscle?
1: I think... When you talk about active listening, there's so many different myths about active listening. And one of the worst ones I ever heard um, was when someone said you demonstrate active listening by taking notes. You show <laughs> them that you show them that you're really respecting them <laughs> and taking notes. And of course, the one thing you do when you're taking notes is not looking at the other party. So if you're in a fortunate position where you have a face-to-face meeting, and yeah. this might this might not be possible now for possibly yeah. in some parts of the world for six months. Yeah, you know? yeah. In a fortunate position, you've got a face-to-face meeting. You should use that face-to-face, the differential of looking the other party in the eye, looking for all the micro movements in the face. And we don't have to be uh, we don't have to be experts at reading facial uh, tics or whatever because we instinctively know what people mean when they raise an eyebrow or when they look away from us. We instinctively know this, so we must use that. So the last thing you want to be doing is looking down at your notepad and making spurious uh, comments about what it is you think you've heard.
0: Mm, mm, so mm. I think
1: active, active listening for me is always about, for me, it's about Sending back the words that you've heard from the other party. They may not be the way you use words, but the other party will always remember words that they use and they have used that have come out of their mouth from their brain. And if you then then reconnect with those words to them, they will immediately recognize that you've been listening to them.
0: Yeah. So, so let's think about this now, Alan. I agree with what you're saying. Let's say we're all, we're, we, face-to-face meetings are not going to happen for another two to three months depending where you are Mm -hmm. so in essence we're going to be doing zoom calls and phone telephone calls to try and conduct our business to try and close some sales try and move forward as a as a an enterprise or as a business so in that context you have to really reiterate and reconfirm what your customers are telling you over a zoom call or a telephone call so if you can repeat or parrot back their words, you would then be building that trust or that, would be the, that, that trust component would be growing, if I'm reading you correctly. I think correctly.
1: it's likeability. Likeability. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, if yeah, for example I was to say, because I've just been listening to you now, if for example I was to say, yeah, absolutely right, uh, over the next period of time, we're going to have difficulties in reconnecting. Yeah, that's me re re-paraphrasing it. If I, and you didn't say that. If I was, however, to say over the next two to three months, we are going to have problems here. They're your terms, two to three months, and you remember saying them. Yeah. even if it was just, even if you hadn't planned to say it, if it was off the cuff, if you were yep. just making the up as you go along, the fact that I heard you say two to three months, I could say over the next period of time, which is the way I would talk. But that wouldn't make a bridge. It wouldn't make a connection between you and me to say I've been listening to you. So I say two to three months. Even if I don't agree with it or believe it, but you now know I've been listening. Now, straight mm. away, he thinks, well, this guy thinks like me. Yeah. This guy thinks like me. So he's probably a bit like me. And you know what? We all like people who are like us. Yeah. So we're starting, to, we're starting to go up that staircase. You're thinking, okay, well, he's a salesperson, and I know what he's after. But he's probably just trying to do a job like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I guess as well, you, you to look for those hooks, for those. you're looking for those little Velcro attachments that you can attach to your customer and become like them and build that trust and that rapport. I guess the language you would also use, I read a book somewhere where they recommend that you use metaphors and language that the other person is likely to use. So in other words, if you're you know, you're involved in tattoos, right? And mm-hmm. uh, if I start using tattoo terminology, like ink and needles, the ink is dried, or it's like when you get an, or I use a metaphor, it's like, you know, Alan, when you get a new tattoo, you need to wrap it up and look after it. And then, you know, using that kind of language to build that bridge or to increase the likelihood of trust and rapport
1: Yes, I, I I think you're right. But the are areas you've got to be careful there is because you are not involved in the world of tattoos, so you probably don't know the difference between flash and new design. Yeah. And then, so if you're trying to set yourself up as a tattoo expert, you're gonna to have to know a lot more. I think this is slightly this is slightly less um manipulative really, this Alistair, this this view of echoing and mirroring and building a bridge by using the same terminology is you wait for me to use that terminology and then you engage with it. You don't try and reshape it to fit yourself or to And salespeople are the worst people to do this. We love our own jargon. We love our own industry jargon. We love our own corporate titles and jargons. Mm. When the other party says something, we quite often interpret it into our own terminology, which causes, it actually causes a blockage between you and I.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if yeah. I
1: if I come in if, if I come in and say it's a bit like tattooing, and whether or not you want, to, um, whether you want to just buy a tattoo of the flash that's on the wall, or if you would like me to make a, a personal bespoke design for you, you know, oh that's interesting. So when we're talking about the flash, we're just talking about off the off the shelf solutions, are we?
0: Mm,
1: is it? Mm, that's mm. exactly what flash is.
0: Yeah. And at
1: that point, then you're using my terminology, not trying to second guess my terminology, because I tell you. Whenever I've tried to second-guess someone, I've always made a bit of a prat of myself. Yeah, 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 no yeah. Matter, no matter how clever you are, you won't get it perfectly right. And then straight away, you've lost respect.
0: Okay, okay, okay.
1: So, So... I'm I'm
0: just conscious of time, Alan. I said I'd I'd take up 45 minutes of your time. So let's two two things before we go. Um, sure. you've written some some books recently. I've got uh, Don't Lose It in front of me and Advanced Negotiation Techniques. Can people buy these books on Amazon or anywhere?
1: They can. Uh, Advanced Negotiation Technique is available on Amazon. It's 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 published by uh, Springer Press. Yeah, and it's been it's been out for a couple of years now. we have got many thousands of readers around the world. Don't Lose It was a brand new book uh, I wrote just this year. And it was in response to conversations I've been having with some millennial uh, salespeople. Okay. As you said, um, I'm in my 60s now. I've been been around a while. But I'm still dealing with 20 and 30-year-old guys and girls in the sales role. Yeah. And perhaps some of my... Terminology, some of my experience, has been quite as appropriate for them. So we don't lose it. I took the 10 rules of negotiation and, and I applied it to two young people who had gone through their day. And they had 10 points of conflict in the day, starting from getting up in the morning to sitting in the pub in the evening. Right. And we addressed each one of the conflicts by using a different rule. So okay. that's available on, uh, if you want to get in touch with me, or there is an ecwid.com address for it.
0: Okay, perfect, perfect. So before I let you go, three top mm-hmm. negotiation—just three—your three top negotiation tips. Because people remember things in threes, I believe. The three little pigs, the three musketeers, uh, a scouser, uh, a Welshman, and a Scotsman walk into a bar. Uh, your top three negotiation tips, ninja tips.
1: Okay, first one is plan properly i know everyone says this but plan what your perfect world is and how far you can get pushed on each one of the elements of your perfect world that would be my first tip second one is when you sit down with someone listen to them properly yep tell them what tell them what you want and then ask them to tell you what they want, and then listen to how they tell you what they want. Are they saying, I need to start on the 1st of August, or I'd like to start? Are they saying, I can't afford 100, or are they saying your competition is 50% cheaper? So listen to what they actually say in response to all of the elements of your deal. And the third thing I would ask ask you to do is when someone tells you this is what I want, Ask them to prioritize it for you. Say, so out of those six things, which is the most important? Okay. Or, and they would be the three things. Prioritization, listening, and planning. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Well, thanks, thanks very much for that, Alan. it has been a, a wonderful uh, chat. We've we've spoken Pleasure. for 40, 47 minutes and twenty seconds, and it didn't feel like forty seven <laughs> minutes and twenty seconds. Thanks very what much for your hours. <laughs> no, no, time flies when you're having fun. So, <laughs> I'll thank thanks a lot for that. I'm gonna, I will uh, put this up today, and uh, people can listen to this interview. Cheers, eh. Thanks very much. Thanks
1: for the opportunity, Alistair. See you again. Bye-bye.
0: Cheers. Bye.